Welcome to Cortado O'Clock with Alex Stroll. A chance for you to meet your favorite creatives from the adventure photography world, leaving you inspired and confident to advance your photography. Join Alex for episode number two as he talks with Forrest Mankins. As a commercial lifestyle photographer and director based in Western Montana, Forrest's passion lies in the joy of the journey and a desire to tell the stories that happen along the way. When he's not traveling on assignment, Forrest can be found spending time at home, cooking and camping with his wife Claire and their dog Penny. Alex sat down with Forrest after wrapping on his new workshop, Creating the Moment. Mr. Mankins. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to this plateau. <laughs> so you've uh, finished the workshop. Yeah. How was yeah. that? Awesome, actually. You're it's uh, what's that? You're not too cooked. I might be. I might be about there. But to be able to talk about something that has kind of been my entire world for the past two years feels really good. Not just for me to outline it, but you know, to be able to share it with others. I've I've been listening to ninety percent of what you said. Uh, pretty inspiring. So I've built a set of questions around that. Excellent. And from past experiences of you and I and from your work in general. So without further ado, can I just proceed with the first question? Sure. Okay. So when I look at your photos, I see there's a definite universe. Mm -hmm. Like it's color, props, atmosphere. So can you tell me about what's the Forrest Mankins universe? Yeah, absolutely. It? It's... Uh... To me, it starts with my childhood, and I grew up in Oklahoma and have two awesome older sisters, and we had this, just felt like a totally idyllic childhood. Childhood, We were like out in the country and would play out until dark every, day, every night, and so that whole universe is kind of like the same kind of feeling that I'm trying to capture in my photos. It's this kind of warm, safe, happy, summary kind of feel and that's been the biggest thing for me is just trying to bring that kind of joy that i felt as a child into my photos now so we are dealing with real subjects and real places but we're trying to capture this bit of i guess surrealism and translate it into these images um tell me about your approach to color not just in in your in your editing but in your choice of props, mm -hmm. motorcycles, cars, clothing, mm -hmm. um, is there a reasoning behind it? I think there is, but I'd like to hear about it. <laughs> you know, there must be, and <laughs> maybe part of it is a product of growing up and kind of everything we had was old, I think. Um, I think I inherited the love of old trucks and old motorbikes from my dad and that sort of thing, but those colors just, to me, kind of feel like home. Just kind of plain and simple and it might be a bright color but it's a, lost a little luster in the sun right so like pastel yeah a, a little bit it's maybe halfway in between something really subtle and something really bold and it just feels i guess in my photos i'm always going for simplicity in a way and i think that comes through in the colors as well simplicity mm -hmm. why simplicity I think that goes along with childhood, you know? I think 
you know, we walk around every day and we're doing whatever we're doing, but you know, our, our mind is a hundred other places. So looking back at that time in childhood, you know, if you're, if I'm out climbing a tree and it's getting just dark enough and the crickets are coming out and I see the kitchen lights kind of glowing out into the trees outside of the house, you know, I wasn't thinking about anything else. It was just that. And so that kind of simplicity is, is what I'm looking for in my work and in the stuff that the places we go and the things we do to get those photos. Now those still kind of bring back that mindfulness to me currently. How do you bring back this almost innocence from the early days into a commercial shoot? You know, that's been a tough one to kind of reconcile because we're faced uh, with another person's problems, right? So someone could hire me, they've seen my body of work, kind of what they do, and they want to work together, which is great, but all of a sudden we're introducing an agenda into it. I mean, I have my own, but someone else's, so we'll name it. Uh, and that's, to me, why I try to be so, not picky about what I shoot, but I try to be so deliberate in what I shoot and what I share, because I'm trying to get clients that will let me do, well, that will let me create my own vision for them. And so, Sometimes there's just too much of an overlap in I feel like I can't take the job. I could create it, but would I love it and would I be exceptional at it? So it's always a bit of a challenge. And for me, it, it kind of took this period of, you know, I, I think creating, I was, I was starting to head to where I'm at now years ago, but it's become a little bit more refined. And I think in the beginning, you don't, um, you don't have such maybe hard thoughts or boundaries or you haven't thought about it enough. So in the beginning, I kind of did do shoots that I look back now and I wouldn't have done it <laughs> again, you know, and not that they were bad clients or anything like that. I was just shooting something that was outside of my world. So honestly, someone else that was totally focused, focused on that could have probably done it better. So I'm trying to just have this narrow focus of what I love and if clients come into that, that's great. And usually they give me the room to kind of paint it how I would have it. Yeah, we'll touch on clients a bit later on. Mm -hmm. um, I want to take a step back and talk about a few years ago, four years ago, when I met you for the first time. Mm -hmm. So you're driving through the Five. Montana. Yeah, four or five. I can't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, five. Wow. Get old. We, we are. driving through Montana and um, you stopped by this cabin we had. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are on a mission. I, I was. Remember. So can you tell me about that mission and why I'd like to hear about it? Sure. So I think I have to back up a little bit to give enough context to this, but I was doing music and playing in a band for years before, and which we know doesn't pay 99% of the participants, including me. And in between tours, I'd take these trips and kind of go out west in my truck and just hike around, take photos, sleep in the truck. I was just trying to decompress from this lifestyle that I was quickly finding out what was not for me. And so I, uh, I went on this trip to Alaska. I got my first ever photo job and came right back to the client and said, hey, I'm going to Alaska. 
I was not going to Alaska. Like, if you want some more photos, <laughs> let me know. Just and I was just like, if if they if they say yes, I could go. And so they ended up saying yes, and I went there. Who was the client? Dosekis, actually. Oh, yeah. And I shot some stuff for them, but I went there and I was in Homer and hanging out in the spit and I met this old Swedish guy named Kent. Um, and he took people over to Katmai and like let them photograph bears and stuff. But he told me the story of how the first time he came to Alaska, he just couldn't believe it, didn't want to leave anything. And he saw no feasible way that he could remain there. And basically after that conversation, he gave me the advice of, Sometimes we have to jump without knowing where we're going to land. And so I think the next day or something, I called the guys in the band, told them I, I'm quitting. I'll do, I'll, uh -huh, I'll do one more tour. You can find a replacement, and then I'm going to go do photo stuff. And I had no clue how any of that was going to happen. So that's excellent segue to my next question. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a conversation you had with somebody, um, Kent. Um, was there anything else that made you commit to full-time photography besides just knowing you'd take the leap? Well, it, I mean, it was so attractive in the way that the more I did it, the better I liked it, the better I felt. And with music, while I loved the people that I was doing it with, the more I did it, the more I felt stressed and anxious and just going from city to city every day was not for me. And so it, there just seemed to be all these pluses with it, and I just felt like if I could find a way to get into this, if I could just maybe bridge that gap to getting some sort of momentum, and if I could jump to get to that side, then all of the other benefits just outweighed any any risk involved. When you did that, did you have any mm -hmm. jobs lined up? So, on the, on the trip that I met you, there was this now defunct outdoor, uh, technical outdoor ski clothing company that was doing ski. this, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a big skier, <laughs> but uh, they, they told me that they would give me $800 USD to travel, I was in Oklahoma, to follow them around on their little western ski film tour, so we were in Jackson. Cold Smoke? Yeah, Cold yeah, Smoke, yeah, yeah. so we were, we were in Jackson, and... Where else? Like Bellingham. There's a couple locations, but it was two weeks of me gone, being gone and traveling, and they actually tried not to pay me at the end of that. But to me at the time, I was like, I have the promise of eight hundred dollars, and I only have to be gone for two weeks. And so I was like, done. And I asked my friend Garrett, who I knew from the music world, I was like, Hey, I'm going to Seattle for two weeks, or I'm going to take two weeks to get to Seattle, and like, why don't you come with me? So that was the trip we met you on. We did not yet know we were going to Alaska or anything like that. Oh, but wow, okay. So, yeah, you met me, and I didn't know who you were. You invited me over. It's like, okay, let's go try it out. We drove through a snowstorm to get over to Ennis. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, that was the start of it all. I mean, that was right after the jump for me to sort of, you know, Excellent. see this sort of hospitality and friendship and warmth and just to see all of that was super encouraging. Yeah, Morgan was you there too. Morgan was there, Trying yeah. Was there. <laughs> I, I think he had just left before I got oh. there. But <laughs> he showed up twice. It was just like, you know, I felt this camaraderie that I had never really felt in the music world, like yeah. with, with strangers. Yeah, it, it, and it just felt like another bit of encouragement, like, of course, like this is the right thing, you know. 
And so we ended up being gone for six months. And then I think pretty soon after, you and I teamed up and did a project with Travel Alberta. Yeah, yeah, right. And that was like the start of this momentum as well. So yeah, it was this big jumping point. Not that I was leaving a bunch coming from music, but it was what I knew and what I was doing. Yeah, and this leave. was a completely new direction. Uh, this is anecdotal, but what happened with your tires uh, when you were Because uh, I still remember that. So, <laughs> so I left the Land Cruiser and the tires on it were like totally bald. Uh-huh. And... I get out to Oregon and I'm on 205, I think it's 205, and I have a blowout. I'm like, oh man. So I go look at the spare tire. The spare tire is like like the wooden floor here. There's nothing left on it. And as I'm crawling around, I see the other tires. I'm like, oh no, how how is anything holding air right now? So at that point, I was like, well. It's time to sell my camera and lens. I was I shooting that. the original Canon 5D and like an old busted up 17 what to 40. I was thinking? I was like, <laughs> I know. Because it's your income machine. Right? I, I know, but at that time, I things weren't even like rolling yet. I had I had jumped and just got out there. And it was like, I, I don't know what else to do kind of thing, you know? And it was good that it happened, you know, kind of so helps you, you build some things. You didn't have to sell it. What happened? So I put up a post that I was selling the the camera gear it, yeah. and someone asked if like what they what how they could pay me and I like showed them my PayPal or or like yeah if you want it you can pay this and people started messaging me people that I had never talked to um, I mean people from all around the world that was the first I ever heard of Ben Brown he messaged me oh, yeah. he like sent me like 200 bucks for but people got saw my PayPal link, which I hadn't put out there to like broadcast, and sent me around like eleven hundred bucks, which paid for a new set of tires. So it was this totally, yeah, this totally unexpected altruistic support from total strangers that were, mm -hmm, and they were, you know, invested in what I was doing, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I still can't. It's, It's so incredibly humbling, and it was another thing like, you know, meeting you and this outreach from people and that was one one of many things that were told me this is the right thing to do you know but yeah i i was i was gonna sell my camera (laughs) maddening i'm glad you didn't sell it (laughs) me too me too (laughs) just changing up gears here Mm -hmm. um still in montana when you come you know we've shared an office for a few years so when Mm -hmm. you come up here in montana and you go into the woods for like 20 days, you know, mm-hmm. come in, come out, come in, come out. Yep. Um, you often go camp in the same places. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's super tough to go back to the same places. So I'd love to hear, you know, I'd love to hear your take on going back to the same places over and over. Yeah. Is there a reason for that? There, there are a few. Uh, one, I, to shoot the stuff that I love, that puts me in the places that I love more than anywhere. So. You know, I kind of have that what's over the hill, what's around the corner thing too, but spending time out there kind of brings this deeper relationship with the place. And so we start to learn things about an environment and what the light can do in it and what different weather can do in it. And sometimes it's just a matter of seeing things over and over for that allows us to see it differently, something that was already there. So for me, it's about trying to get deeper into a place, 
you know, maybe I took a good image there the first or second time, but, you know, and the, and the search for trying to get and be better, there's this allure of putting, putting the days in and trying to, trying to just take it a little bit to the next level, trying to, you know, put in the honest work to, to get somewhere deeper. So do you feel like you're building intimacy with these places mm -hmm. in some way? Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's the same as we talked about, you know, working with subjects. That's my next question. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Uh, so on, on this intimacy, how yeah. do you build intimacy? When I look at the photos again, of sometimes you you work with models that you've met once, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and sometimes you you know you work with the same people. But how do you build intimacy in such a short amount of time? How do you do that? Well, it's to me, it's about information and just honesty. So before I shoot with anyone, I try to paint this whole world for them to answer all of the questions they could have. And I norm I normally leave one or two things missing, but I try to send them maybe some example images of some of my work or some things that I'd like to make. And I like to let them know that, you know, please bring your friend or your partner or family, like, please do, I wanna do whatever makes you comfortable because I wanna collaborate on something. And so I'm really trying to, one, lay out all the information for them, but really to put control in their hands. Because, you know, think about meeting up with a stranger and they want to take photos or do whatever. It's, it's a total leap of faith, right? It's, um, I mean, it's a pretty vulnerable spot to be in. So I think like prioritizing that, like what can I do if, if I were in the other position, what would I want to have? Oh. And, and so, and then also during the shoot or shoots, just trying to build everything as a positive. You know, it's, I wouldn't say, I don't like how your arm is. I might say, oh, I like this light. Just Maybe kind of, yeah, we just build on positive and positive. Um, and it can be a slow process, but it's definitely taught me, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm getting better, but it's definitely a teacher on just communication in general. Because I'll find that, you know, in the beginning, I was just overlooking a lot of things or things that I assumed and knew and weren't properly sharing. So it was this indicator of, okay, we need to lay out everything and just put it out there and give the control away. Beautiful. Um, now this section of, of questions I have, it's a bit more tactical. Okay. Yeah. So um, this one is pertaining to film. How, what would you tell to someone who's like, hey, Boris, I'd like to mm -hmm. start shooting film. Tomorrow, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where should I start? So I'd tell them to get Canon AE1 or a, a Pentax K1000. It's just like the stock run of the mill. AE1 or a a yeah, a Canon AE1 or a Pentax K1000. These are just basic SLRs that a lot of film classes used to use. They're about a hundred bucks. Oh, wow. um, Any lens there's a billion of them. For them. What's that? Any lens recommendation for them? They usually come with a 50 millimeter, which I love. I shoot with the 50 a lot. Yeah. So, and I would tell them, why don't you pick maybe Fuji 400H or Portra 400? Doesn't have to be your final film. Just buy a few rolls of one, doesn't matter which. Like, close your eyes and pick one and just start shooting. There's some, do you want me to talk a little bit about the technical stuff? Yeah, with that? yeah. Okay. Like, imagine this person is, mm -hmm. you know, understands photography and settings, mm -hmm. etc. They know how to use a DSLR mm -hmm. digital, but film is a bit different. So, anything yeah. you might share is useful. I think when you're coming into film, you don't have as much confidence as someone who has shot film. And 
duh, right? But there's this thing, you know, with, with digital, I only shoot in manual mode. We want this like precise control of the exposure. And especially when we're worrying about losing our highlights, because yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. And so I think most of us have this kind of one-to-one -one exposure idea with digital. You go up a stop, it's a stoplight, or you go up another stop. And with film, it's much softer and more forgiving. So you can take color negative film, which is like the Fuji I talked about, or Portra, and you can overexpose it a stop or two stops, or sometimes even three stops, and you get a fine image. So to me, it's almost like this is easier. It, it's as when you're starting, you're just kind of blind to it. But when you get some rolls back, you go, oh, okay. And so with yeah. film, I shoot on aperture priority. Yes. I, you know, I pick my depth of field. So I would tell them, you know, get some old camera that's working, buy four or five rolls of film, shoot all of that film and shoot it in bright light, shoot it in the shade, shoot it in the morning. Just try to get some different examples to see so how it really behaves. It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, I, I would shoot it. those rolls as quickly as I could because the first thing we're trying to do is just to build some confidence and love for it. We're hoping to get maybe one or two images from those rolls that kind of make us get it, you know, that kind of puts it in, in here. And I think most people get that on the first roll. So my thing is just, it's going to be a little scary. You have to put just a little bit of money into it, but the, the returns are awesome. Speaking of that then, mm -hmm. uh, how much is it to get some rolls? So you can get a roll, you can get a five pack of Portra, which is 36 exposures on each roll for around 40 bucks. And then um, the developing? Developing, um, my lab is about $11 per roll. And that's scanned too? That's scanned, yeah. so you'd, you'd mail it out and about a week later you get a an email with a like a Dropbox link basically. So you still have this kind of digital workflow with the warmth and yeah. everything from film. Because if I were just getting negatives back or something like that, I wouldn't do it. I don't it's I don't want to scan my own. I don't have time for that. I just you know, I want someone that's good at that to yeah, to do their very, thing and yeah. Who's your lab? State Film Lab. I've used it uh, too. Have you? Do you like them? Yeah. Well, I thanks do. to you. Yeah. Billy just had, uh, he and his wife had their first kid. This Billy? Week. Yeah, oh, Billy. Shout out to Billy. You should put a photo yeah. of him right here. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I love them. I've, I've shot, you know, I had this kind of year and a half journey, actually, of finding a film lab. I had one that I was super happy with, and then I started getting these scans that I wasn't really a fan of. Mm. And so then I, you know, I tried some of the most expensive ones, like Richard. I tried all these other ones. Yeah. Always expensive. <laughs> And then I found my good buddy Adam Naples' recommended state, and once I found them, I've just been like, that's, that's my guy, that's who I send everyone to. Very well. Yeah, and even if it's not state, I think finding a lab that is your constant kind of thing is a great way to have a relationship, and you can give them feedback on what you like and what you don't like, yeah. and oftentimes they'll go, well, you changed this. And <laughs> so it's, it's nice to have a lab that actually kind of cares about it because they will help you out with how you're shooting. Excellent. Now, on the same tactical zone, um, what would you tell somebody who struggles finding their direction with their photos? Because you talk a lot about direction, mm -hmm. having ideas and concepts. What if somebody doesn't have any of that, but that's, has the know-how? That's uh, the hard part. And, you know, the, the, and we talk about it, the way that worked for me, which I feel like, I feel like it's pretty applicable to many people is just taking a little time from it. Um, 
I think often we, we can get lost, and if, if we remain in it, whatever it is, we, we're still kind of in, stuck in these same kind of thought cycles and feeling the same sort of limitations and emotions and maybe negativity. So for me, and although it was so hard because during that time that I had the burnout and just kind of lost direction, I was like, well, what do I do? I was still obsessed with photography and thinking about it constantly. I mean, which was even worse because I was like, what, what do I shoot? But it, it took some time to kind of just separate from that and then to start thinking about if I could do anything, what would it be? And not what could I shoot here in this season with the people I know? It's like, no, if I had unlimited resources or anything, what would it be? What would I shoot? And that just kind of separated me from that reality I was in of limitations and failure and think, like internal pressure. And it just kind of made this blank canvas that I filled in with ideas. So I think that's the best way that I can tell anyone to, to you know, kind of move forward, find a new direction. Beautiful. Now, even more tactical. Hmm. Someone who is struggling with getting the edits they want. I hear hmm. that a lot from people, you know, like, ah, oh, I watch your workshops, but I still, you know, don't know exactly how to get the edits I want. It's never exactly what I have in my mind. Hmm. What's your words of wisdom here? I think trying different light is one way to start. And so you'll remember I went through the period of shooting basically almost exclusively blue hour for a long time, I right? That. I think I had that 2414 just glued to my lens. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of felt that I was having trouble editing in some of the brighter light. And I think I was also a little bit sophomoric and being like, this is the light, this is my light, and kind of excluding myself from some other opportunities. But part of it was that I didn't really like how I was able to edit those photos. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time just messing around with different edits and I'd maybe learn a little something here or there, but I think finding inspiration and just seeing how other people have shot in that light for me was a big deal because I'd have these, you know, these ideas about different kinds of light because we know you can take maybe uh, capture your edit settings from a sunrise shoot and then use them on the same place at noon and it's totally wrong, right? So, so I had these ideas about editing in different light or just what photos had to look like in different light. And when I started to find new photographers, I started seeing photos in light that I didn't think I could shoot in light like this, you know, late afternoon and they were just beautiful. And I thought, okay, if they can do it, maybe I can at least get a step closer. Right? So, you know, I think it's really important to kind of take inspiration and draw on the knowledge of others. We don't have to be islands. You know, why are, why are we making this workshop? So it was, it was really just kind of taking a minute and looking outside and going, okay, someone else can do it. I'm going to identify one thing from this photo. I look at this harsh midday photo and somehow the shadows aren't boosted up in like an HDR way, but they're not dark and crunchy. How do I do that? And I would focus on this kind of one thing, like how can I do that? And I tried different ways to do that. And then maybe I'd learn just a little bit and you know, I kept doing that with things and I still struggle with that and work on it. But yeah, I, th I think we don't need to be afraid 
to to look outside of ourselves for help and guidance. Agreed. Now, someone who's struggling to shoot more work for brands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you tell them? Okay, so this is the kind of like hard work, boots on the ground kind of thing. And this is, you know, a, a big deal for me is I got way busier as a side effect of doing the things in this workshop. That's where most of this came about. And so, number one, we have to put in that time and kind of identify what we love. Because if we love it, we're going to work harder at that than anyone else will. And then we have to basically make it and produce it. No one is gonna, no company is gonna come to you and say, we've heard you got, you have great ideas. We're gonna give you a budget and like, why don't you just go out and make something? You have to make it. And so that's why I think being able to take wherever you are, working with whatever you have, whoever you have, to articulate these ideas is the most crucial thing. So, someone that lives in the Rocky Mountains or Atlanta or Singapore or something, wherever you're at, we need to just be able to work within our means. And even if that's nothing, no budget, we're st we should still, there are still ways to figure out and be able to execute these ideas. And it's just, you know, the, the thing that drives the hard work is the love for it. So, to me, it almost feels like the thing that you have to be doing, whether or not someone was or is going to pay you for it. It's just like this thing inside of you that you can't ignore. And that's why, you know, I'll go out for 20 days in and out every day, things like that. So it's like this hard work driven by love and with the end goal of creating exactly the work that we want to. Beautiful. Now, um, it's my last question. And it's um, it goes back in time again. Like, what would you tell the Forrest Mankins of five years ago? Oh, that's now, a tough one. Yeah, what would you tell one. that Forrest? Hmm. You know, I think I would say, and I I would tell myself this in both photography and music, but I think I would say that I could have done, I could have had a better time and maybe done better with less fear. And I think I could have given myself fewer limitations and kind of made my box bigger. Um, while I was trying to work to identify things that I did like, I was also identifying things that I didn't like and labeling things as kind of good and bad. I'll shoot in this slide, I won't shoot in this slide. I'd shoot this as a subject, I wouldn't shoot this as a subject. And while I was narrowing in on maybe an aesthetic or a vision or something, I was also excluding like the rest of the world. So to me, I think we can, we can celebrate the things that we do learn to like, but also think about the things that maybe we don't like just as, or maybe just in a way where we don't know enough about them or we haven't thought about it. So. I would tell anyone, and I still tell myself, let's not preclude ourselves, let's not exclude ourselves from opportunities or just new things in general. Stay open. Absolutely. Beautiful.
Hey guys, it's Alex Stroll, and today I want to tell you about Strollworks, which is a company I've made to bring you the best in terms of photography education. So the concept was that you can learn photography from photographers you've heard before. So we make very actionable courses on a variety of topics like working with brands, editing, finding your style, storytelling, commercial shoots, and much more. So uh, if you're keen and interested, we would like to meet you. So uh, enroll today at Stroll.Works.